It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Hello and welcome to the Spirit of Sport on Sydney's newest home of sport, 1170 SEN. I'm your host, Timmy Manor. I've got my co-pilot, Ben Little, and I'm so glad you're able to join us tonight. I don't know where to start with tonight's guest. It's a long list of things we can talk about in ways of intros, but let's just say he's achieved everything he can in the game. In rugby league, he debuted in 2003. He's played over 300 games in the NRL, represented New South Wales, won, won a competition for the Tigers, uh, played for Australia. Pretty much, he's, he's done it all. He was crafty, he was skillful, he was one of the toughest players I got to play alongside and against. Uh, he's also one of the, cap, the most capped Tigers player of all time, uh, a true icon for Tigers fans and for NRL fans in general. I'm pleased to say our guest tonight is none other than my captain, Roberto Robbie Farah. Thanks for joining us, Robbie. Timmy, always a pleasure, mate. Mate, it's, uh, I feel like we had a lot to get through there, but there's still so much more we could have got through. Your uh, career is um, it's one of those careers that, as a kid, you, you kind of think, if I can grow up and do a quarter of that, I've had a great career. Looking back now, now that you've, you've finished up, looking back, how does it feel to think that you've done all that in your career? Pretty much everything you can do in the game. Yeah, you're right, mate. As a kid, I would never have even dreamed that beyond like, beyond my wildest dreams. I, uh, I was just a, I was a kid. I never came from a rugby league family. Um, yeah, my, my parents were always big on education. Never really encouraged us to play weekend sport. Yeah. Uh, it was always education study. Um, never went to sporting schools. Uh, I played rugby league at school, but we used to get beat by fifty every weekend. I, ne- I never made any rep teams through the schoolboy system. Um, yeah, I was fortunate enough that my trainer at a very young age used to pick us up and take us to and from training. Otherwise I would have had no way of, of getting to training and, and yeah, it was just a dream and used to sit there watching NRL on TV, State of Origin on TV. And now to, to look back and think that I was fortunate enough to, um, play for, for my junior club, the Tigers, uh, as you mentioned there, you know, over 250 games for the Tigers, which... Still blows my mind. Um, over 300 games in NRL to to play and have the opportunity to captain New South Wales, which I still can't believe. Um, but it's probably not till you look back on your career after you finish, like you said, and you get the chance to reflect. Um, because just for for a kid from Campsy, um, you know, youngest of four boys, um, yeah, it was it was just almost impossible. It was almost yeah. impossible. Like, it, my mates used to laugh at me. My brother used to laugh at me when I told him I wanted to grow up and play NRL. I was just like, oh, that's not going to happen. Like, it was just, uh, yeah, it was, and, and I would have been happy with one game, mate. Um, so now to look back, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of, of what I got to achieve and, um, yeah, quite humbled by it, to be honest. Well, we're also in the room with someone that's played a couple hundred games for the Hills Hornets. <laughs> yeah, is that right, your team? Or is it, what's your yeah, basketball? Hills Hornets. Hills yeah, Hornets, yeah. yeah. So we've got, yeah, we've got two veterans in the room. Yeah. Um, Hung my boots up when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Robbie, uh, we'll get to, I want to talk about it a bit later, but I want to talk about um, just the, 
the, sh- the Lebanese culture and I guess how it's shifting in terms of encouraging kids to play sport? Because we kind of yeah. you were just talking then, and there's a lot of similarities in a lot of Lebanese players, myself included, of that lack of encouragement, I guess, mm. to pursue a career in sport, which is changing. But let's talk a bit about your upbringing. So, like, you grew up in Kempsey. Mm-hmm. How, how did you end up in sport? Were you, did you, were you born in Kempsey? Born in, Cam- born in Canterbury Hospital. Same here. Born in yes. Canterbury Hospital. Grew up around the corner from Belmore Sports Ground. Uh, always loved rugby league. Um, didn't start playing it till the age of nine. I, I was, wanted to be a tennis player. Uh, I loved tennis. I remember sitting up late at night with my mum watching Wimbledon and and all the uh, the Grand Slams and uh, I used to love Boris Becker. He was my favourite player. Yeah, I used to love Sampras. Remember Sampras? Yeah. yeah. And um, my dream was to play tennis. I used to get tennis coaching. Um, and then a mate from school one day, I think I was nine years of age. He played for Enfield Feds. He said, "Mate, we're a couple of players short for the season. Like, would you be interested in playing rugby league?" And um, my parents were against it, but. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wanted to play with my mates. So how old are you? Nine, nine, under nine, nines. Yep. Yeah, so I didn't play to under nines uh, and, and just loved it. Uh, obviously, tennis is an individual sport, but then to, to play a weekend sport with your friends in a team environment, absolutely loved it. Uh, and then it just sort of took off from there. I played at Enfield Feds till uh, the age of 12. They folded. Uh, the only other team in the local Canterbury comp was St. John's Lakemba, who are our, our biggest rivals, and we all hated them. We didn't want to go play for them. So our coach at the time... Uh, you know, put us all in the back of a van and, and drove us over to Leichhardt Wanderers. And that's how I ended up in the Balmain district. So you could have easily been a Bulldogs junior. Yeah, I would have been a Bulldogs junior. Yeah. Well, uh, if, if the feds didn't fold, um, that's how I ended up in the, in the Balmain comp. Um, and then I actually try, I, I went through and made, uh, Harold Matz at, at the Tigers SG ball. I actually trolled for the Roosters and made their squad as well. Wow. Uh, with a close friend of mine and we had to choose which one we wanted to play for. And he decided to play for the Roosters and I stayed at the Tigers. Uh, and yeah, just, just by chance. Was that SG Ball? Uh, Harold Matz, I think. Okay. Harold, yeah, I was going to say, it I wasn't so. long after that you were playing in the role. Yeah, Harold Matz was 15s maybe, okay. I think, back then. So yeah. it was a, the, yeah, I was, I was still pretty young. Uh, but yeah, it would have been a, would have been a Bulldog um, if, if the feds didn't, didn't fold, I guess. So, yeah. and, and I was a Bulldog uh, fan growing up, obviously living around the corner from, from Belmore Sports Ground, we used to go down to, to every game, you know, on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And, uh, yeah, the dream at the time was to, to grow up and play for the Bulldogs. But as soon as I, um, found myself in the, in the Tigers, um, you know, sort of set up, uh, that quickly changed. That's, uh, it's funny. Yeah, this, this show's about you, so I'm not going to keep coming back to me, <laughs> but the similarities <laughs> are scary. So I, um, I haven't really told many people this, but I played one year when I was under 13s was when I first started footy. In the Twin Willows Warriors, that was in the Canterbury comp, the old Bass Hill yeah. team, and then they started playing Sundays. So my parents were going to church, and they said we can't, we can't take you to footy on a Sunday. Find a team in the Parramatta comp. So we found Guildford. There was a local, bit further, but it was the f- closest team in the Parramatta comp. And then yeah. I ended up being a para junior because of that. Same thing. Grew up a massive doggies fan. All my family still. Mate, we could have both been bulldogs oh, together. No. <laughs> Mate, my, the first couple because I think there was an article in the paper early in my career about how. Like my family support the dogs or I could have been in and for the f- most, most of my career but the, the amount of times I've had doggies fans particularly Lebanese doggies fans say guys yeah. when are you coming back home when are you <laughs> <laughs> but mate, I never never really played there but um, there you go we could have been doggies juniors together uh, all Lebanese front row it seems like um, resilience and hard work was a big part of, of your career mm. um, where, where did you develop those values was it as a youngster or where did that come um, from yeah, probably through my teens. I, I, like I said, I was the youngest of four boys, so 
I grew up playing with all my older brother brothers and, and their friends, which sort of toughens you up because you're you're playing you're growing up playing against kids down at the local park, you know, that are four or five years older than you. And um as I mentioned before, I used to get laughed at when I used to tell tell my brothers I wanted to grow up and play rugby league and it almost used to piss me off. Yeah. Um and I was just I had that attitude, well, I'll prove you wrong. Um and, and that's sort of what I did. And I used to get that tough love all the time, even through and, and my older brother, one in particular, takes credit for it, just for for saying that he yeah he built up my resilience because <laughs> he used to just bag me every single time. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd play a game either for school footy or on a weekend. I'd score three tries and get man of the match. And but what about that tackle you missed? That's yeah. right. Or what about that? What about that ball you dropped? Or yeah. whatever it was, he just always found a way to bring me back down to earth, and um, it, it really used to piss me off. And it, it, I guess it um, motivated me to get better. And um, yeah, and, and I was never. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I never made any of the rep teams. I never made um, New South Wales or Australian schoolboys or, or any of that. I was never the best player who, in, in who my age group. Who was that in your age group? Who was the guy that? Oh, you know what? I honestly can't remember. I think Matty Ballin might have made yeah, okay. a, uh, Junior Kangaroos Yep. Um, in, in my age group. I'm not I'm not sure who was New South Wales, to be honest. Um yeah. But yeah, and even even at the Tigers when I was playing SG ball, yeah, I was never the standout player. It was um, they're always they'd always sort of recruit other hookers from the country to come in, and but I'd I'd almost take that as a bit of a challenge and train harder and work harder. And as you mentioned, you now the thing I look back at now, and yeah, I get I get a lot of parents or kids coming up to me in the street, um, and they ask me, they said, oh, what what piece of advice? Yeah, would you give yeah, to my son that wants to play NRL? And I just say, hard work and sacrifice. And, and it's, you know what, I don't know, it's probably the cliche answer, but it's so true. I've seen so much talent go to waste mm. uh, from kids that got caught up in going out on the weekend and drinking or drugs or crime or, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, I look back and I missed so many you know, birthdays and all, you know, all heaps of things with my friends because I was so... I was so obsessed with making as a rugby league player that I would not let anything distract me from achieving my goal. And um, you, you almost have to be obsessed, I think, uh, yeah, if, when you want something in life. Uh, and I wanted it that bad that, you know, I just developed this, as you said, this, this obsession, this um, determination, yeah. um, this resilience. And as soon as someone would tell me I couldn't do it, I just they just built up my resilience even more and I wanted to, to prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah, right. Mate, on the back of that, you played 277 games for the Tigers, but you captained 149 of them. Were you always, did you always have that leadership? I didn't know that. Like, they could have given me <laughs> one more. <laughs> one, 150 would have been nice. Myself and uh, producer Tom had just been yeah. doing, doing some homework. But uh, <laughs> 149, yeah, games as captain, you don't do that by fluke. How, have you always been a good leader? Like what, what gives you that great leadership? And I'm going to, after you talk, I want to give you everyone back home listening to these experiences I've found with you as a leader as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've, I think I've always just naturally, um, been a leader. I think, um, yeah, I'm not sure, mate. I'm not sure. I think yeah. anytime I'm in a team environment, I sort of take it upon myself to try and lead by example and try and help those around me. Um, I'm never one to sit back and, and let things happen. Um, especially, yeah, you know, when yeah, if we're going through a tough time or on the field or at training or or you're struggling, uh, I like to you know, get up get up the front and you know my 
a sort of leadership sort of style was always to, to try and lead by my actions. Um, you know, some other guys are really good at talking or, um, motivating or whatever it may be. But for me, it was just, I, I couldn't ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. So, and that, that was something that I, I tried to, I guess, um, yeah, that, that's the way I tried to lead through my career. Yeah. I, um, I was lucky enough to play with you a few times in, in city camp. Yeah. So we, and I think, I think each time we had, we played together, Freddie was coaching us. So we had, you were my captain, Freddie was a coach in city. And then we played in Lebanon together. Same yeah. thing. But I remember there were so many things that you'd do that weren't normal for like a player to do. Like you'd always go out of your way to make sure that the team was bonding. You'd make sure that no one was, you know, like, um, not coming out. If we had a team event, everyone comes to the team event. If we mm. have something on after game, everyone does it together. Um, and then, in, and then in Lebanon, especially to see you for five weeks and watch you closely and just see how you led a team. And that was a different situation because you had guys that weren't all professionals Yeah. and the way you were able to get them to, to kind of, and yourself and Freddie, but you got the whole squad to get so united in a short amount of time. Um, I was captain at the time when I was playing under you a few times at, um, city and at Lebanon. And I remember thinking there's so many things that you're doing that I'm lacking at club level as well. So I don't know if it was natural. I don't know if someone taught it to you as a kid, but mm. a lot of the things you did naturally, we were, were stuff that, you know, people can teach today to captains of teams and right now in the competition to teach them. Cause I think a lot of the new generations coming through, a lot of them don't appreciate the importance of bonding and appreciate yeah. the importance of unity and everyone on the same page and less clicky. Um, and you had a skill in that stuff. So I was able to witness it firsthand. And I'm glad I did yeah. because, um, it just taught me a different way of doing things. And I think my, my style sort of developed, as you said, you learn from other captains and other leaders. And I was fortunate enough to, to play with so many great captains in, in the rep scene. Um, and you pick up, you know, certain things from, from certain captains and you take it back and it, and it helps you develop your own style. And, um, you know, when I was younger, I was probably a bit, as I said, I learned with tough love when I was younger. So when I, when I was first a captain, I tried to just bring that tough love to everybody. And then I soon realized with this new generation that was coming through in the game, you, you couldn't really do that because some, yeah. some players would push back against that and that it was frowned upon. And so you learn, all right, well, well, Timmy can cop a spray. I can spray Timmy, but, but Benny needs a, a bit of a cuddle if he, if he makes a mistake. And mm. I started to learn that you sort of had to treat all your players differently. Uh, but in terms of the bonding thing, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I think that's probably gone out of the <laughs> game still, a lot, but still are. yeah, but, but I, I think it's so important. Um, you know, I always say to, to guys that don't want to get in, well, like why play team sport if you're, you know, cause, yeah. and I look back on my, everyone says to me, oh, do you miss footy? I, say, I don't miss footy. I miss hanging around the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best part, the best memories about footy, like Timmy talks about the world cup, the time we had in that, that yeah. five weeks together and the, the, you know, whether it be a dinner or you know, a team activity or a night on the drink or, or whatever it may be, they're the moments you remember and, and they're the moments you miss when you retire. So um, I always I always try to encourage that. And um, Freddie, you mentioned Freddie, like because I, I was a bit of a I was a bit of a straighty when I, you know, I was really big on preparation and professional, which which I was, but it was almost I almost took it to the extreme where I wouldn't sort of enjoy myself. Um, and then Freddie, I remember when I was in the origin set up real early in my career and, and he said, mate, enjoy every win because every bloody win in the NRL or, or origin is tough. Mm. You know, there's no easy game. There's no such, such thing as an easy game. Yeah, so make sure you enjoy the wins. So I was really big on that through my career. Um, as Timmy will probably tell you, but, yep, yep. um, yeah, so, 
so whilst I was, you know, I professionally looked after my body, you know, did all the right things, my diet, um, when it was time to have fun, I, I thought, you know, as a group, um, you needed to come together and enjoy that time together. Yeah, the other thing that Freddie did in camp was, I can't remember, is it Simon Dwyer? No, nah, we watched some videos of a guy talking about technology. I think Simon Snecky or Simon. Oh, oh, oh yeah. about the, phone, the, yeah. the phones. So, what he, Benny, what he was saying was, I was just talking about how bad phones are for you, pretty much. Yeah. So, Freddie made a rule that if you're not in your hotel room, there's no phones. So, you leave your phone in your room. And I remember the first week in camp, you know, the, the bus trip was just quite like every other bus trip in you know, Korea. Guys on their phones, getting ready to train or getting ready to play or getting ready to go for lunch. And we, we scrapped, we, so we made a rule saying no phones, scrap the phones. And every single bus trip was a laugh. It was just so loud. People talk and people laugh and people on the microphone in the front telling stories. Uh, it just completely changed the rest, of, like the rest of that trip. And something, something so small as just getting rid of your phones yeah. made a big difference, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it allows you to get that connection. Instead of everyone just sitting there staring at their phone, it sort of forced you to, to form relationships and have a laugh together. And, and as, as Timmy said, um, our bus trips were uh, were quite fun. You know, we'd, we'd have boys up the front of the on the microphone telling stories and telling jokes. And uh, yeah, Freddie had a had a you know he he sort of gets um, giggled at Freddie for his style, but yeah. he, he's got a he's got a real uncanny knack of bringing people together quickly, um, which is what he did um, in the World Cup with us at, with Lebanon, and he's obviously gone on to do that with New South Wales. There's a method to the madness with Freddie. There is. Um, you know what else about that trip? There was guys like, I remember, especially one day, you you were really, t- I can't remember what it was, but you were really tough on Dewey. Something yep. happened and you just were so tough on him and you said, no, he needs to grow, he needs to learn. Yeah. And right now, if you ask Dewey, he's probably your most respected mentor. Mm. Like all these years later, he'll probably say you because mm. you, know, you always, even now, like you show him a lot of love, but you also keep him honest. And so it's, it's just so crazy to think that, that all started in those early, like 2017 wasn't that mm. long ago, but these guys' careers have come so far now. Yeah, I, I remember that. Um, it's funny because when I looked at Adam Dewey as a kid, he reminded me of so much of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was real confident, almost bordering on cocky, <laughs> arrogant. That was what I was like. Yeah. Um, and I remember times when I was younger where I overstepped the mark with um, some senior players and they didn't really like that. And I had to learn quick because when I was coming up, there was – yeah, there was that old school yeah, mentality yeah, where, res- yeah, you got to clip a- across the years and you know, respect the older players. And um, I-, I remember that that one time Adam was was real disrespectful to- towards me. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to to teach him a lesson. And and everyone was coming up to me saying, "Oh no, you can't." I said, "Mate, I know what I'm doing. Just just let me do what I'm doing." I know because you know, while still was yeah, it was about that NRL campaign. Uh, sorry, the the World Cup campaign. Uh, it was what I was trying to do was was beyond that. I was, I was trying to teach him a lesson mm. that he could take forward into his career, and um, it lasted a while where I gave him the silent treatment. <laughs> and he asked me for forgiveness. I said, yeah. "F off." Yeah. Um, but then, but then, you know, slowly, slowly, he he regained my trust, and and as you said, now, um, you know, I'm super close with Adam. I you know, work with him every almost every day, every week. Um, at the Tigers and, um, yeah, it was a bit of that tough love, I think, uh, yeah, helped mm. him along the way. Well, he got my three points last week, guys. That's quite <laughs> weird. It's not because he's Lebanese. He actually killed it. Man, a little fun facts here from producer Tom. Now, oh, I want to know. God. Did you, is it true that you once coloured your white boots with a black texture because Tim Sheens didn't want you playing in the white boots? My debut. 
Yeah, God, my NRL debut. debut yeah. Really? Yeah. As as I mentioned just then, that story about Adam, I was a pretty confident, leery kid, and um, back then it was, it was just black boots. Just black. Just yeah. black boots. I played black my whole career. And I remember I, I don't know, I had no boots sponsor or anything, and I had a pair of white Gilberts. I don't remember Gilbert yeah, no, boots. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. A lot of the rugby union players used to wear Gilberts, and uh, I had a pair of these white Gilberts that I was playing in, and um, got called into l- captain's run at Leichhardt Oval day before a game. And Sheenzy, because uh, I think Adam, uh, sorry, uh, Robbie Mears was in doubt. He was Darren Center was a starting hooker. Robbie Mears was on the bench, and Sheenzy called me in the captain's run. And uh, first thing he said to me, he said, "Mate, um, Mears doesn't look like he's going to be good for tomorrow." He goes, "I'm thinking of playing you. Can't wear them white boots." And I was had no boot sponsor. On. I couldn't get to a you know a, a store and get new. But you know, you want to wear your boots in. You can't just throw them on first thing in the game. So I said, "Mate, I'll do it." I'll, I'll bloody colour him in if I have to. And I went home and coloured him in the black texter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. Uh, Mate. Funny story. Um, over 300 games in the NRL, obviously a bit of longevity there. You mentioned that you, you like to take care of your body and health and all that. What were some key factors in you being able to last so long in the game? Uh, my brother being a physio probably helped. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I learned from a young age. I I, uh, I made my debut in 03. Um, Played four games and I had a syndesmosis, like an ankle injury, which I was in a moon boot for four months. Then I came back in 04, played three games and had a knee reconstruction. Oh. Missed the whole season with a knee reconstruction. I was off contract. How did you find that stage of your life? Um, it was tough. It was yeah. tough because, uh, as I said, it takes a lot of discipline. Um, well, your mates are going out. And I, I remember I said, I'm not touching a drop of alcohol until I'm back playing footy. Wow. So, yeah, you know, six months at the age of 20, yeah. as you can imagine, it's quite tough. Playing um, in the wine. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of uh, temptations where your mates are going out and, and I was at home and I'd do my rehab and uh, yeah, because I knew that if, if I didn't get this right, I wouldn't have had a career. So that looking back now, that sort of taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about the professionalism I need and the – the toughness and the resilience and the hard work because yeah, while that six months was so difficult and so lonely and you know, you have your really bad days where, you know, you go into training and you, you're on a grinder on your, on your own yep. for two hours while the boys are outside training. Um, it's quite difficult. Um, but yeah, but it, it taught me a lot about the professionalism I needed. So, um, and then I had back surgery when I was 24 um, and again, that was something that I had to manage through my career at the time. The, the surgeon told me, he said, mate, you'd be lucky to play to you to the age of 30, obviously being a dummy half bending over a thousand times a week, um, was probably the worst thing for my back. So he said, you'd be lucky to play till 30. So there are a lot of things. So my life almost revolved around my body, um, you know, at home, stretching, massage, physio. You know, all those things, all the treatment around the clock. And as I mentioned, I was quite fortunate that I lived with a brother for most of that who was a physio. So I was well looked after. Uh, I, know, I know you're married off Sarah, it's still single. <laughs> so we'll talk about Thank that a little bit later as well. I, I do want to talk about that later because there could be some females in the audience listening today. But <laughs> I want to talk about, as, as an athlete, do you reckon, and I only figured this out probably as I ended the relationship, but we're so trained to be selfish. Like everything yeah. is about us. You know, we we got to make sure we get enough sleep. We eat the right food that we go to the right places that we can't do this this day. Can't do that that day. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like, ha- have you found that in your, in your history? Has that ever 
come in up? My, have you noticed it? Like in your, my relationship in your, in your history? Oh, wow, yeah, we're yeah. getting deep here. Yeah. Um, so definitely. I, mate, I always say it. I said, uh, yeah, I've been so selfish yeah. through my career. And um, I had a, I had a uh, girlfriend in my um, early to mid-20s. Yeah. And the, the biggest problem was, was that. Um, yeah. She always used to say to me, she said, when am I going to be your priority? I said, when I retire. Yeah. And, and as bad as that sounds, it was the way it had to be. And especially for me, because I was just so headstrong in, in what I wanted to achieve. Um, you know, I'd, I'd play a game on a Friday night. We might've had one of her friend's birthdays on a Saturday, but if I got an injury or a cork in the game the night before, I said, I'm not going. Yeah. So what do you mean you're not going? We've already RSVP'd. We're supposed to be going. I said, no, I've got to get right for the game next week. Not going. And that really used to annoy her all the time. Even little things like, yeah. oh, geez, we're getting, no, we're, deep we're we're getting very personal. Like we'd be at, no, but like we'd be at home know. and she'd want to yeah, have a cuddle on the couch, but I'd be on the floor stretching. Yeah, yeah. And it just used to, she'd just nag about it. Yeah. And I'd, I'm, I'm, Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Bloody stretching. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not doing it for fun. Yeah. I don't like stretching bloody two hours a night, but it had to be done. Yeah. And all those things used to yeah, cause you know, little arguments and little risks in the, in the relationship. Yeah. And, and then to a point where I was just like, you know what? I don't, I don't want any girlfriend yeah. while I'm playing footy. And, that, and I never really entertained. I know you said I'm still single, but I never really entertained that thought um, you know, through my career because actually I, I knew I was selfish. I actually yeah. knew that I was selfish because of – because I had to be, and I thought, geez, if I'm not get, bloody going to get a girlfriend, or I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a shit boyfriend, yeah. or uh, I'd be, I would have been a, probably a crap dad too. So yeah. if I if I'd had children, yeah. so yeah, for me, through my through my career, it was just all about footy. Yeah, right. Well, for the ladies listening on air right now, guys, call in. Right. <laughs> yeah. Our number is one three hundred zero one. Hold on, I thought you were going to give my number. <laughs> we're going to do that, guys. Go to go to the eleven seventy uh, Instagram page, slide into the oh, DMs, and we'll give you oh, guys Roberto's private number, guys. Now listen, Robbie, we have got sixty seconds with Blitz. Oh, okay, the 60, sixty second yeah. Blitz. Let's yeah, go. The, the sixty right. second Blitz with Blitz is I'm just going to fire a bunch of questions at at you, and you just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, we're going to do no it for we're going to do it for sixty seconds. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Best investment. Property. Worst investment? Oh, car. The most unusual habit you have? Um, I get dressed right uh, right um, foot before my left foot, right arm before I'm the opposite. my left, I'm left, left. I'm left first. Yeah. yeah. yeah I just put my clothes on. Um, <laughs> first concert? Um, bon Jovi. Ooh, favorite movie? Anchorman. Pet hate? Uh, people that have got no grammar when they spell. <laughs> oh, good. Who would you like to meet? I've already met him, Stephen Gerrard. Yeah. Um, what thing did you do growing up that your parents hated the most? Uh, I was a grub. Just never used to clean up after myself. What makes you nervous? Oh, what makes me nervous? Relationships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having a the thought of Yeah, the thought of that. <laughs> Uh, one thing, to finish this off, 60 seconds with Blitz, one thing that most people wouldn't know about Robbie Farah. 
if I wasn't a footy player, I wanted to be a chef. Ooh. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah, you do love your cooking. Yeah, I wanted to be yeah. a chef. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Thanks, Timmy. Blitz. If you weren't a footy player, what would you have done? I would have been eating Robbie's food. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. Actually, what I'm doing now, probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, you talked about Liverpool, actually. Let's talk mm. a bit about you. How did you get so obsessed with Liverpool? How did that happen? Just uh, ingrained in me from a young from a young age. Uh, older brothers supported them. One of my brothers lived um, in London or in England for for two years in the '90s. So I was I was just 12 years old and he used to send back Liverpool jerseys and DVDs and. Um, yeah, it just sort of the love grew from there, and now it's you know all my nephews support Liverpool and sort of in the family, and I'm just uh, I'm obsessed now. I um I've been over there numerous times. I've got your never walk alone tattooed on my ribs. Uh, flew over to Madrid in 2019 for the Champions League final. So Stephen Gerrard got me a ticket for the game, which yeah. couldn't believe it. And it just so happened that we had the bye that weekend for the Tigers. We had four days off training. And I went up to Madge. I said, mate, um, I need to talk to you. He's like, yeah, what's up? I said, oh, we got you four days off. Um, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Madrid. He's like, you're flying where? I said, mate, I'm going to Madrid. He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't really think that's a good idea. I said, well, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I said, some boys are going, you know, to Queensland with a family, wherever. I said, I'm going to Madrid. And, uh. In the end, uh, yeah. He, what was his condition? He had to fly. I had to fly business class. Yeah, that's, that's um, tough. That's tough. Which cost me a fair a fair bit, but yeah. considering I got the free tickets of the game, which yeah, tickets of the game was probably yeah, 10,000 euro, um, I couldn't really complain. So yeah, I forked out about 15 grand, I think, for oh, business wow. class flights because it was last minute uh, business class flights, but mon- best money I've ever spent. Did it you get was, that out uh, of your unbelievable. Oh, here we cigarette go. change? Or? Here we go. Um, <laughs> Best best money I've ever spent. It was best um, best um, there you go. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable experience. Yeah, brilliant. You mentioned uh, a few of your injuries in those defining. Look, looking back on it now, it seems like defining moments in your life. Um, you mentioned that you you cling to your discipline and and your process. Uh, was there anything else you did in those dark times, like um, mentally or emotionally, to get yourself fo- stay focused and get yourself through those tough times? Um. Yeah, it's hard. It was hard because, um, especially with the the age of social media and and things like that, there was a lot a lot more outside noise started coming in. Uh, the longer my career went, early on in my career, there was none of that. Mm. Um, but one thing that I I used to do, uh, which Roycey Simmons actually uh, was really big on, Roycey Roycey was uh, at the Tigers under Tim Sheens for ten years and probably the most influential person in my career, Roycey. Um, yeah, he was someone I really looked up to, him being a former hooker as well. I, I hung off every word that he said. He taught me so much. And one of the things that he really taught me and you know, uh, really helped me through, through my career was um, um, pos- like visualization, you know, positive vis- visualization. So so anytime I was down on form or down on confidence or whatever it may be, I used to go watch old tapes of when I was at my best, um, you know, games where I played really well. And it might sound oh, a bit, bit tacky or a bit, you know, uh, up yourself or something, but it's actually sort of blocks out all the negative noise and it reminds you how good you can yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and, and my, and then it was even laying in bed at night, five minutes before I went to sleep and we'd have a game the next day. And I just imagine myself scoring a try or setting up a try or putting on a good tackle or making a line break, whatever it may be. And, um, I always found that that really just helped me. Yeah. The, the, I guess the, um, 
the mind, the power of the mind, especially these days, it wasn't really, and you would have been the same to me. You never, it was never really spoken no, about when we no. were younger, but now you know, getting your mind in the right, in the right, or getting yourself in the right frame of mind is, is so important because, um, a lot of the game's mental. Um, a lot of it's about your preparation and you know, all the teams train the same. We all run, yeah. you know, laps in preseason in the summer and you're fit and you all you know, do all those things. So, um, the little gains that you could get in your own mind, I found through my career was, was pretty valuable for me. Yeah. Cause the gap physically between the best team in the comp and the worst team in the comp, the gaps are yeah. small, but the biggest thing is obviously the confidence and the belief and that, yeah. that mental capacity. Like, um, and like you said, I, I genuinely believe that that space is the one space in sport that's in 10 years time, we're going to look back and think it's come so far because yeah. every club, even coaches, their mentalities, they lose a game. Okay, work harder. They work harder physically. Let's, let's bash them. And really, mm. there's no point in bashing physically if mentally they're all cooked. Like they, you know, they, they can't have the confidence to win. Speaking of the confidence to win, though, tell me about 2005. What, what was that ride like? Oh, absolutely crazy, to be honest. Um, yeah, I remember, as I said, I was coming back off of knee, Rico. I played round one um, in reserve grade. Uh, we played Parramatta at Stadium. I played reserve grade and then sat there and watched – uh, NRL play. I think Benji missed that game as well. We got beat by Para by about 30 points. And I remember being in the sheds after the game. In reserve grade or first grade? First grade got yeah, beat. Yeah, yeah. So I'd played at reserve grade, yep. stayed back for the NRL game. They got pumped. We're in the sheds after the game. I remember sitting there next to Toddy Payton and he just looked at me and said, mate, he goes, we're going to win the wooden spoon this year. <laughs> <laughs> like dead set. And, um, you know, then, then we had the bye round two. I got called straight back into the NRL side. Benji was back. And then we beat the two grand finalists from the year before, Roosters and Bulldogs, in round three and four. And then we, we sort of lose two, win one, you know, lose another one. Then halfway through the year, we were uh, sitting at 12th on the ladder. And um, no one sort of gave us a chance. I don't even – I don't know. We didn't really give ourselves a chance, but it was we were just this combination of some really young guys like myself and Benji, Bronson Harrison, Dean Hallettow, Liam Ford and Bryce Gibbs, and a bunch of older guys that sort of, I don't know, they sort of grew a leg because we just, we'd come in with a breath of fresh air and guys like Brett Hodgson, who was at Para, but, you know, was, you know, sort of in and out of first grade, Paddy Richards, Scotty Prince had come off a couple of broken legs and... We, we just clicked. We just clicked and we spoke about bonding. Like we used to be together all the time. There was, yeah. there were no clicks. There were no you know, dickheads in the group. We just all genuinely got along and cared for each other and we didn't want to let, let each other down. And then halfway through the year, we just won a game, won another game. And then to a point where I think we won eight in a row and I've never had a feeling like it, uh, even going into the semis and the grand final where... I knew that the only way we could lose is if we beat ourselves. That's how confident we were as a as a playing group. Um, it was a pretty incredible feeling, and, and you know, not not anything of of ever um, experienced you know before or or since. We we talk about positive um, affirmations as I spoke about before. Our goal at, at that year was top four finish. Um, you know certain certain other goals, and Tim Sheen's made us put them on stickers and put them in our car, on our dashboard, put them in the mirror on, in our bathroom at home. So every every morning when you're brushing your teeth, you're reading top four, top four, top four. And then you get in the car to drive to training and you're reading it. And my mates used to get in my car and laugh at me. It's going, you're not finishing the top four. <laughs> and halfway through the year, we were we were 12th. We were 
a mathematical chance of making the top four, but realistically, like no one really sort of imagined it could happen. And then we, we went to reevaluate our goals and then Benny Glee was the first one he stood up. He said, no, no, well, whilst we're a mathematical chance, why are we going to change it? So we didn't change our goals. And then we went on, as I said, eight in a row, finished in the top four, um, won a grand final and. I just remember bawling my eyes out for about three hours afterwards because <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Could yeah. not believe it. That's such a good story. Yeah, you mentioned um, team bonding, the relational connection you guys had, and you experienced just this incredible flow. What mm. were some other contributing factors? Would you say? Um, Tim. Oh well, everyone. Everyone asked me who you know the best coach I've ever had through my career was, and I, I've had so many great coaches, but they've and they've all got their own different style, but. The in 05, everyone says to me, like, you know, what, what happened? You know, because as I said, we were sort of a bunch of young kids and misfits and we all came together. And the greatest thing Tim Sheens did that year was um, he adapted the way we were going to play to his roster. A lot of coaches, um, I'm sure you might have experienced it, they have their own style. And no matter what their roster is, they'll try and change that player to play the way they want. So we were sort of a real extravagant group, a lot of flair. Uh, we wanted to play footy. We were young. We were exuberant. So Tim Sheen's sort of, he really harnessed that energy. He didn't, he didn't try and shackle us or he just said, okay, well, well, we're not going to win a game 12-6. So, so if the opposition is going to score 30 points, we'll just have to score 32. <laughs> and that was, a, that was, um, that was, and our strategy that year was, you know, it's funny. Rugby league is a simple game. And I remember at the start of the year, and it was so simple because everyone looks back and says, oh, Tigers were the entertainers. and um, But everything we did was practice, whether it was a Benji Marshall flick pass or a chip and chase. If you came down to training, you would see us do it. And Sheenzy said, I will let you do whatever you want in the, in the game as long as you practice it at training. So our training was just madness sometimes. But then because we practiced it so much, we all knew what, you know, if Timmy was going to throw a flick pass, I knew he was going to do it and I expected it. And if I was going to do a chip and chase, well, then you expected it. And it, it yeah. sort of encouraged, you know, we encouraged each other to do it and it brought out the best in us. But at the start of the year, I still remember in the preseason, he brought up this stat on the, on the, um, on the projector. And he said, when you break down rugby league, 95% of rugby league are zero, one or two pass plays. So it's either a run from dummy half a uh, one-out hit-up, a dummy half-pass into a front row to take a hit-up, or two passes, a half-back tipping on someone else. So our whole strategy that year was to get that third pass, just an extra pass. And that was the whole, that was our whole game plan. So that 5% of rugby league, the three passes, that's the way we tried to play. So everything we did was three or more passes. Mm. And then we just started moving the ball and teams couldn't defend it because no team was used to it. No team was used to teams shifting that much and moving the ball that much. Our forwards were passing. Our hard, everyone was just passing the ball. And it was so simple, but it was so good. Your front rowers had skills like backs as well. Like, yeah, yeah but it was all practice, mate. Yeah, we, yeah. we had days where it was everything was skill, skill, catch, pass. Yeah, yeah Everything was you – know, so as you said, whether it was a halfback or a, a front row or a winger, yeah. everyone could execute it under pressure. Yeah, right. I wanted to ask you, um, so 2012, you – you win a, you play state of origin, you win a game, and a few days later your mum passes away. How did how do you handle mm. that in the middle of your career? Like, yeah, I know you were saying before you're on your dad's house tonight, and I know mm. I've always loved how much you honour your mother, even all these years <clears> later. <throat> how did you handle that in the middle of your career? Like, what made you get through that? 
Yeah, it was tough. Um, mum, mum got diagnosed late 2011. I was on kangaroo tour in England. Um, got the call and I was on the first flight back home. And then I still remember, like, obviously oh, we're in off season, but I remember going back to pre-season and as, as we spoke earlier about leadership, um, rugby league almost became my, my release. Yeah. Uh, because when I was at home, uh, you know, you're there, you're around, I was around my mum watching her suffer, you know, all the things that she was going through. Yeah. And then my time at training was that couple hours a day where, um, I try and just forget about, and I almost had to forget about what was going on at home because I was a captain. I knew that if I went into, um, to training and I was down or, you know, I was emotional, that was going to affect the boys because they were looking at me for leadership. And I remember every morning I'd, I'd rock in a train at Concord and I'd, I'd park the car and I'd be sitting in the car and I'd, I'd almost speak to myself and I'd be like, you're going to training now, you got to forget about what's going on at home. Yeah. And I almost had to learn how to compartmentalize and just go, okay, my footy head's on now. And I'd walk through the doors and for four or five hours, I'd be footy Robbie yeah. and then I'd get in the car and go home and then you deal with what was going on at home. Yeah. Um, and then for me, mum loved watching me play footy. Um, so I quickly learned that you know, the feedback from my, my brothers and my sister was, you know, for that two hours that I was playing on a Friday night on TV and she'd be at home watching, she'd forget about her pain because her, her, her youngest boy's playing on TV and she was bloody proud. Yeah. So for me, every time I went out there, I had that mentality where, okay, go out there and bloody play good because, yeah, you know, mum's going to forget her pain for two hours. Yeah. Um, so that was a meant, that's how I got through it. Um, and then as you mentioned, it was around origin when she, she passed away, which, um, <coughs> was, was, you know, was, was so tough. Um, and then, but then again, cause I knew I had so many people relying on me and then I had to get into camp for the, getting back into camp for the decider was probably the best thing because, um, Again, I wasn't alone, um, yeah. and it wasn't. It wasn't until after the decider we we lost that game by a point up at Suncorp, and then it wasn't until I went back home and then I was on my own. It all sort of hit me. Yeah. Before yeah. then, it, it whilst I thought I was dealing with it, I probably wasn't because I was surrounded by people and surrounded by the pressure of having to perform in Origin and and all those things. So I was almost I was so headstrong that. I was like, yeah, like, okay, well, I'll deal with it after this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I remember just being an emotional wreck after Origin had finished because I'd gone, life had gone back to normality and mum wasn't there and yeah. I was a bloody mess for a long time. <laughs> and how's it going now? Is the old man looked after well? I think I feel like every time I speak to her, there's someone bringing some food to his house or he's... he's yeah, yeah. It, the old man, like, it's it's hard because I was the last last one left at home. I was the youngest. Um uh, all my siblings married, moved out of home and, and I, I was there and I, I felt bad, but I was, I was stuck in a rut for about a year yeah. after mum passed away and being at home, um, used to remind me of her yeah. every day. Um, and I needed to get out of there. Yeah. So my dad went over, my dad was overseas and cause as a Lebanese boy, you don't move out of home till you're married. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know the drill. So, so anytime I'd, I'd even brought up the discussion of moving out of home, luck. it was just a flat no. Yeah. The luck, you're not going yeah. anywhere. So dad was overseas. I've found a place, signed a lease, moved my 
<laughs> and I was out, and he came back from overseas and said, Dad, I've moved out. Yeah. And I felt like an absolute prick. Yeah. Uh, but I had to do that for myself. Yeah. Uh, but dad, dad's, on, dad's on his own, but, um, yeah, like, yeah, we try and get over there for dinner, and he's nice. got 10 grandkids nice. um, who he absolutely adores, which keep him going. Um, so uh, he's still waiting for me to get some grandkids. Uh, keeps, <laughs> keeps Busting, busting my balls <laughs> all the time. He's like, hurry up and get married before I, before I die. And I wanted some grandkids. And the dad's 80 now. So, um, so yeah, so the pressure's on me. But, yeah, without his grandkids, um, I'm not sure how he, he would have coped, to be honest, because he's, he's had a rough trot, my dad. Ladies, one three hundred zero one eleven seventy. I really, really want to talk about what you're doing now. So yeah, we can talk a bit about the Tigers. I also want to know a lot about Tell the people at home listening about what you're doing work-wise as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm back at Tigers now. Yeah. Um, I do some yeah, specialist coaching. I, I go in there one day a week um, when, you know, the players break up into positional skills. So I do some work with the dummy halves and, and the middle forwards. Um, and then as of three weeks ago, they, the club asked me to get, get out on the field um, as a blue shirt trainer. Which I've actually really enjoyed, to be honest. It's um. By the way, the form has changed a lot the last three weeks. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but it has been a lot better the last three weeks. Yeah, I, I can't take credit for that, mate. <laughs> as much as I'd like to, but uh, look, for me, it's been great because it's it's replicated the emotion and the feeling of of playing a game of rugby league without actually playing a game of rugby league. So I'm not bashing my body or having to make fifty tackles, but you're on the field and emotionally you're you're invested and you can see things going on on the field and you try and give that feedback to the players on the run and. It's something I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed, to be honest. Um, and then I've had an events company, uh, which we started up uh, about five years ago now. It's called 247. Uh, so we curate packages to major sporting events around the world. So pre-COVID, we were jet-setting all over the world to um, you know, Miami for the Super Bowl and all the Formula Ones. Yeah, I know. Too Someone's got to do it. Too Someone's got to do it. Too smart. He's, but, he's uh, created a business that he gets to travel to Super Bowls and, and yeah, so, yeah. We customize packages and we take clients over to these major sporting events, um, and and we and not only to the sporting event, but behind the scenes access, all your parties, your it's it's a one stop shop. So from from when you get on that plane to when you come back, our company sorts sorts everything for you. And oh, yeah, so it's uh, it was something that was really growing from strength to strength, and then and then. Uh, this what, thing called COVID sort of uh, entered the world, and what's a hot ticket now? Like I know it's different with COVID, but is there anything on the market now for sale? Yeah, well, now obviously we've spent the last twelve months sort of refocusing um, our brand and um, sort of targeting a lot more domestic um, events. Obviously, we don't know when we're going to be able to travel overseas again. So, uh, and we live in such a beautiful country that um, we almost take it for granted at times, and we we forget how many how many beautiful things there are. I've been in Parramatta for eleven years before. <laughs> Paradise. Paradise. That's um, so so we're doing a lot of stuff down in and, and not just a sporting event, but whether it be a you know, golf trip down to um, Tasmania and King Island, um, you know, your wineries and, and whiskey distilleries in South Australia, and. Um, yeah, you're surfing up at Byron Bay, crocodile hunting in North Queensland, and then obviously on the sporting calendar, State of Origin's coming up, which we, you know we do some really cool State of Origin experiences, behind the scenes um, access and um, some private dinners and, and things like that. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully things can go back to normal quite soon, um, and we can get the, the the events company going again. And I'm actually opening a Pilates studio as well. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, yes. Pilates studio in in Concord, which cool. uh, is a Tigers area. It's 
where I've lived and, and grown up for a long time. And um, I'm really big on Pilates. You spoke earlier about my injuries and my back injury. And so is Benny. Yeah. 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 Pilates is something that um, I found quite beneficial for myself. Um, it's something I've continued to do since I've retired. So a lot of people think that Pilates is just for, for women. Yeah. But uh, anytime my mate says that, I, uh, I take him down to a session and watch him squeal and cry for 50 minutes. <laughs> Guilty. Um, I was one of those. They, they quickly learn that uh, it's quite difficult and quite challenging. So, uh, so yeah, I'm opening a, uh, a KX Pilates um, in Concord, which um, hopefully keep me busy. Yeah, you're always going to be one of those guys that when you're retired, it's always going to be fine. I feel like. Rugby league-wise, everyone wants to have peace here in rugby league. But business-wise, you're just always smart. And we won't go into all your investments, but you've always been very clever in setting yourself up for life after footy. Benny, um, he's talked about Pilates. Can you give us a bit of insight about your uh, physical shape right now? Yeah, now, um, I'm a few kegs over. Yeah. Yeah, I need to lose probably 18. 18? <laughs> just a few. Yeah, i got a, too, much, uh, too much weight on the joints. Uh, Monday night was 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 rough on the basketball court. Was it? Yeah, recovery's been long. Yeah, right. It's been three days now. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what, guys, we're so fortunate that we had uh, my my captain, my skipper <laughs> Robbie Farrow, join us. Faz, thanks so much for joining us. Um, thanks for opening up. Thanks for sharing with us. Um, we look forward to seeing you in the blue shirt more on a weekly basis now on the field. And uh, Benny, as always, thanks for being Thank such you. a such a. Great- it's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Great uh, co-pilot. Pleasure. Thanks for having us.